Welcome to the Recombobulator Lab with Jason Gramnai and Chris Dominic. Hey Chris. Hey Jason. I absolutely love living in an urban environment. Most of the time I get around by walking, so I really shouldn't complain. Uh, okay, I, I know you're going to complain. Okay, it's it's the traffic and lousy parking. I mean, it's horrible, but you can't have it all, right? I'm sure you can. Save me your silly American excess. Get an electric trek. What the heck is an electric trek? It's a bike with an electric motor that can assist you when you want it to. I have one and I think it is my urban assault vehicle. No hill will get in my way. A quick trip to the store, no need to get in the car. I ride over, put the contents of my waterproof saddlebag and off I go. That sounds amazing. So uh, what's the downside? Well, really it's just the drivers who presume the only thing that should be on the road are cars. It, it gets a little hairy when someone gets out of their car without looking and opens their car door right in your way. Ah, uh, got it. Nothing with the bike, though. No, no, no. The bike's awesome. Wear a helmet, though. I don't know. What about the helmet here? Yeah, you'll love it. But seriously, there are really, really clueless people out there. Get a helmet. Come to think of it, yeah, there are really, really clueless people out there. I can't wait to zip through Bondi Beach on my new trek. With the helmet? Yes, with a helmet. Why? Why? Why do we start these episodes laughing? I don't know. Hi, Chris. Know. What's going you? on? I don't, oh, don't. We kind of slid into that one. I know. But, hey, why are you so bundled? It is, it's 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. It's it's probably 14 degrees, but in Australia it's like 1. I'm feeling it like I'm frozen. I'm completely so frozen. It's, it's so funny because to see, like I've been, I've been jealously looking at you for several months in shorts and T-shirts and here I am in short sleeves, and you're in fleece and a wool cap. <laughs> go Republic. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Nice. That's great. You get the, the Ben Buck from Republic. Oh, yeah. That's good. I, I, I could oh, use one of those. That's true. I, I, you know, you never sent me uh, one. Really? You never did. did you get a cap? You said you were going to, and you never Oh, that's did. terrible. You know? Well, I'll send you a cap now because it's now summer. Maybe because they won't let anything leave don't uh, Australia now. Start. It's nothing. been amazing. Nothing. It really is jail-like, and we don't really, you know, it's the wardiest women. It's like social norms. And yeah. so we look around the world, yeah. and we're like, oh, well, everyone must have to, like the exemption to travel is you can't just travel to go to a funeral or a wedding. It's like you've got to leave for mm. at least three months. You need a compelling reason. And the compelling reason mm. is like if you get accepted into a university, you can do that. I mean, it is a, sh a short list. And so we are basically back to convict times. Well, at least you're familiar with that. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's so comfortable genetically. It's nice. <laughs> And then, yeah, so here it's interesting. I got I got a piece of good news, though. You yeah, want to go hear on. It? I got Pfizer number two <gasps> in the body. That's why you're looking so amazing. I mean, you always look amazing. I, fe but you, I, feel, yeah. I feel sprightly. You feel indestructible? I do. I, pretty close. Good. Pretty close. I, I managed to get an entire trial in with real people. Oh. While, you know, the episodes keep coming every Wednesday, no matter yeah, what. That, Even though I'm in trial and you're Bouncing around. shaking up the world with your incredible wool clothing. I didn't tell you this. I'm getting on a plane, which is a really remarkable thing in Australia, right? Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. I'm going down to a town in southern New South Wales called Bega. Now, Bega is known for its cheese. It's like Tillamook. It'll be like Tillamook. Okay. It'll be the, the Australian Tillamook, otherwise known as Bigger. Yeah, and I'm doing a workshop down there with the CEO of Bigger Cheese and his team about circular economy things. As it happens, yeah, I'm going to be doing our podcast from down in Bigger. I'm going to bring take my equipment. I'll take a few selfies and go, this podcast is indestructible. We can shoot from anywhere. It's kind of true, though. It really is. It is. Here's what's interesting, though. You, you know, I want to hear the panic on your voice when you forget something. That'll oh, be... I can't tell you. So I'm sitting here and there's this little... I've got a... I've got the 
the mic and the headphones and there's an adapter I need to put it in a laptop. And, don't, and, don't, and don't it's so funny. It. And then I rang the hotel. I'm saying it going, how good's your Wi-Fi? No, no, really. How good is your Wi-Fi? You don't understand how important this That's is. That's a real thing. This is rural Australia where I have this image of going into the room and there's a dial-up modem and I'm like, oh boy, 40, 56, what was it? 56K modems? Do you remember those? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't make, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, I was thinking about this. Everybody wants to be able to work from yeah. everywhere now. I think that we're going to have a little boxed check on Airbnb. Yeah or wherever that's going to be like awesome Wi-Fi yeah. or, you know, awesome broadband or something like that. Yeah, I'm with you. And I remember, do you remember the days when you had to pay for Wi-Fi in a hotel? Oh, I'm yeah. Like, yeah, you remember when you had to plug in? Oh, uh, yeah. All the cables. Oh, remember how you had the Ethernet cable? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I'll tell you, the, the Ethernet cable thing, mm. that's a little that's a little uh, pro tip. You can actually still use oh, that a lot of okay. places and it is screaming Is it? Fast. Yeah. Yeah, because it's broadband, man. It's yeah. not like a VPN thing. It's a, Speaking of which, did I tell you my star story the other the day i had no. a call with new york at five o'clock in the morning so it's dark here and i'm outside lovely looking up lovely. and i always like to look at the southern cross which is your version of the north star i think and the southern mm-hmm. cross was used by captain cook to find himself in the world and get down here mm-hmm. colonize and send the convicts down and now we're back to being convicts again just to close the loop on that circle but i looked up into the sky and i'm talking on this call and i see a star moving and i'm thinking that's a plane oh wait there's a second star Satellite. behind the first one and there's a second star behind the second one, a third one. And there's a string of 60, 60, I counted them, 60 perfectly equidistant stars moving across the sky. And do you know what that was? It's Elon yeah. Musk's. Uh, Starlink. Yeah, it's his, it's his Starlink. Okay, so, so hey, here's the thing. We're about to talk with Jen Speaking Heinrich. Speaking of Starlink. Yeah, right. I'm sure Jen's going to love that. Do you like that, that. segue? Uh, <laughs> sorry, Jen. But, uh, but she's got this incredible story about how youth athletics – can be so functional and so powerful in making citizens and it's so inspiring. I thought I'd do something else. Oh. So just to round this whole thing out and sort of show the other side of it, I got two different things to do. I want to give you a little quiz where you identify the most terrible things parents can do oh. in youth sports. Oh. So oh. I want you to describe, the, I want you to list <laughs> the things that you think are uh, d- basically destroy the benefits of youth sports. And because I have this list of re- uh, that I've researched of the that are the seven worst things parents can do to young athletes. And I want to see if you can get them. And so if you're even close, I'll check it off Thank the you. list. Yeah. Seven things. All right. And you don't have to get all seven. I'll tell you what. You can go with 10 guesses if okay. you want. What are the worst things parents can do to young athletes? Okay, I'll try. And this is reflecting on my time as a school teacher and then being a rugby coach at the school and remembering. Yeah. So I remember... So I think a parent abusing a referee, that's not a great thing. I'm not sure if this is going to yep, sync up. That, that, um, so check. Okay. I, I think yeah, a parent. That's a winner. A parent, that's a winner. A parent assuming they're the coach or abusing the coach about not selecting yep. the child. That's two. Yep. That's, that's um, another one. Three, I think a parent sitting down with their child and framing that their life success is basically directly tied to whether they make the top team in rugby this weekend. I'm not sure if that fits. Yep. Um, yep, that's that's it. That's what another about, one. Um, you are you are good at this. What about a parent? What a, how do I parent? Because that's basically it. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true. Go easy. Um, Come on. Can you think yeah, of anything no, no, else? Because that's no, pretty I think, good. I think I've seen where parents have said to their son or daughter, ignoring an injury to keep playing. I think I've seen oh, that. Yeah. I'm not sure no. that's not a big one. Um. So, okay. Um, 
I think I'm, I'm I think running you, out. I, I, I think you, no, I think you've got oh, them all. Okay. You there you go, yeah. Okay, number one, treat children differently after a great performance oh. slash win than a poor performance <laughs> or loss. That's so bad. All right, number two, have goals and expectations that are different from the young athletes. <laughs> right? National level Olympic performances, yep. Yeah, you believe it. You, I, I don't want to. You actually say this in the interview later, by the way. Uh, in, in number three, uh, I mean, not because you're pointing out something silly right. that the parents right. do, not something that you do. Um, number three, undermine the coaches. Yeah. You nailed that. Uh, here, here's the hiss is funny. Trying to scream, and this is off of a, a particular source called I Love to Watch You Play. The quote is Trying to scream instruction from the sidelines is never as helpful as parents yeah. think it is. <laughs> Okay. The next one is undermining the refs. You nailed it. The next one is five being overly emotional and trying to pass it off as being passionate. (laughs) I think I've actually done that. Number six, hijack a youth athlete's experience, usually easily defined by the collective we. We worked with a special coach on that. We worked on that play. I can't believe we lost that game. That's a great passive aggressive thing. It's so bad. Okay, here's the last one. Believe that the best lessons in sports come from winning. (laughs) That is so, so good. It's tough. It's tough because, oh, God. You know, you want to justify some of these things by saying, I don't want my kid to be a loser. You know, or whatever it is you do, but... It's when you look hard at it, it's rough. The, the, the two extra stories. So I was a rugby coach when I was teaching. <laughs> I remember the parents of the opposition team were so abusive to my team and the coach that afterwards I sat down with the headmaster of the school and said, we've got to do something here. And then the next week we had we had like a code of conduct for the parents laminated and we could kind of use that as a bit of a, and, and so so that's one thing. And then the other thing is I just pulled this up. Um, a lot of club sport, community sport, they have, you know, if you're hosting the other team at the rugby ground or the cricket, you've got a sign up and it says, you know, please remember these are kids. This is their game. The coaches are volunteers. The referee is human. This is not the World Cup. Enjoy your visit. You know, I think that's a really clever grounding. But a lot of parents, I think the other thing that's related is parents are living through their children's success and they get associated and tied with it, which I find extraordinary. There are, I've heard a couple of professional sports people say that when they went to go see their kids play, it finally occurred to them Mm. like why their own father or or mother was crazy. Mm. Like when they were playing, their point is you don't really like you think that your favorite team makes you a fanatic, yeah. right? Because that's the whole, the term fan comes from fanatic, yeah. right? We go crazy for our sports teams yeah. because we, we get to treat this like it's not reality. Right. It's our own little fun way to to be purely tribal, right? But but man, it, when you watch your kids perform, hmm. you have to be saying to yourself the entire time, hmm. their kids, they can they need to learn yeah. how to fail. They need to work through mm-hmm. failure. I, you know, I mean, it's, 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 that's what the whole point of this yeah. is, is making their stronger competitors and teaching them about teamwork and, and learning how to win is one of those yeah. things, right? Learning how, and learning how to take a loss and learn from a loss is another one of those things. But it is just fascinating because people lose their darn minds. Yeah. Let's get to this interview. Let's go. All right. Jen Heinrich, here we go. <laughs> All right, so today we are with the fabulous Jen Heinrich, a dear Portland friend and a powerhouse in women's sport in America. Jen was Executive Director of Rugby Oregon from 2002 to 2019 
developing America's first youth and high school state rugby organization, a model that 46 other states have emulated. She recently left to launch Girls Rugby Inc. to promote the game to the girls of America. Welcome, Jen. Hi, thank you so much. It's so good to hear your voice and I'm excited to be here with both of you today. Welcome, Jen. You know, Jason and I took our sons to Las Vegas for the Rugby Sevens tournament years ago and I really ended up liking the sport a ton. I had never seen it before. Did you by any chance go out to any of those? I have been to those. Yes, I have. Was it you that was in the Stars and Stripes suit suit? <laughs> Just maybe. The infamous Stars and Stripes onesie. Yes, I was definitely yeah. supporting our USA Eagles with pride that weekend in Vegas. Yes. Outstanding. Okay, good, good. <laughs> no, I, I really like the fact that rugby's played by both genders uh, so widely now. Can you tell me a little bit about your, your affinity to rugby? Yeah, uh, no, great, great start, really. I, I appreciate that rugby is a sport that's played by both genders, and it's also a sport where the laws of the game are the same for boys and girls and men and mm. women. And fortunately for me, rugby was not an option when I was growing up back in New mm. Jersey, kind of always defined myself as an athlete from an early age, grew up playing soccer and basketball, softball, swam competitively, all that good stuff. And then ultimately went on to play soccer at Vanderbilt University. But my introduction to rugby was through my husband who played for the University of Kentucky and then played rugby in Chicago and then here in Portland. And, you know, I was immediately drawn into kind of that tight knit community that there were for, you know, for each of those teams and how welcoming everybody was. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time I really chalked it up to the luck of the draw, but have since come to realize that community, community building, inclusivity, they're really intrinsic to rugby where, you know, rugby teams and communities become more like family, unlike any other sport that I participated in. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, my professional background had been in marketing and advertising. And after taking a couple years off when my kids were born, I started to look for for work opportunities that would allow me to spend some time with my kids, but also start using that other side of my brain again. And that time, um, Rugby Oregon had about 50 kids participating in their programs. They were looking to hire an administrator and formalize the organization. And I, I, you know, I had that experience of rugby through my husband, but I, I didn't really know rugby, but I knew sports and I had some decent business experience. So long story short, submitted my resume, invited to meet with the board, had some interesting conversations and became really interested in the opportunity to help build the organization. Mm. Um, and even then, I didn't see this as a long-term opportunity. And I remember telling them when they offered me the position that I would likely only do this job for a year or so before going back to corporate America. But you asked me what my affinity to rugby was. And in that first year at Rugby Oregon, I fell completely in love with the community, with the ethos of the game, with the unique traditions that build community, like our aftermatch socials, You know, the inclusive nature of the sport, both in bringing people together from various backgrounds, but also how it incorporates all shapes and sizes, and really how that can profoundly impact a young person. So I feel really fortunate that I had been given the opportunity to build something really special that could make a difference in the lives of others. And so needless to say, I'm, I'm hooked. And one year has now turned into almost 19 years working in the youth rugby wow. space. And obviously that led to the start of girls rugby as well. So it's great. So yeah, we met um, Jen and I met and worked together in, at Rugby Oregon and it, it's interesting if you swim in water swim in a type of water like rugby in Australia is just what you, what you do but it was actually it was Jen that really articulated the special things like the after match functions is like of course that's what you do but then we moved to the States and we had kids younger and it's like oh that doesn't happen in other sports huh so it was actually Jen's articulation mm-hmm. that really helped me go oh rugby is a little different that's kind of cool and then uh, more you know women in rugby have just been a, a phenomenal thing to to, to watch and so with Jen's support we started a youth rugby club in the suburb we lived in which was just a really cool experience and so 
Jen's role in that, in, in building Rugby Oregon and, and creating this state rugby organisations, these SROs that all these other states have emulated, it's just extraordinary. It's just, I've always thought about it moving back to Australia, thinking just how amazing that, that's been. So kudos to you, Jen. It's so nice. Lovely. Thank you, thank yeah. you. I do want to say <laughs> early on, Jen, Jen's won two very prestigious awards. One is World uh-huh. Rugby. So that's the, over, that's the global body that governs all things rugby. So World Rugby Women's Executive Leadership Scholarship, she's a recipient, which um, is phenomenal and congratulations. Thank you. And then the, another really interesting grant she won, which was through the International Sport Program Initiative. It's a sports diplomacy program funded by the US Department of State and it's facilitated wow. through a group called Women Win. Um, and that took her to Rio, Brazil just before the pandemic. And yes. so I sort of conflated those two things, thought, thinking they were the same thing, they were separate. Tell us a little bit about Rio and what happened there. Yeah, Rio was was really an incredible experience. So we had a chance to travel to Rio in early March of 2020. Timing became interesting. It became a factor for our, our trip there. Mm-hmm. But we, as Jason said, we were awarded a, a grant for an exchange program where we selected 12 coaches of female sports programs from various national governing organizations. So it wasn't just um, rugby, but we did have some of our girls rugby coaches there and really focused on women who were looking to kind of improve their craft, hone their craft and and to make an impact with girls in their communities. So the exchange, as you said, was through the International Sports Program Initiative. It's a sports diplomacy program by the U.S. State Department and facilitated by this amazing organization called Women Win, which is a global fund that's focused on really supporting girls and women and advancing girls and women's rights. And the theme of the exchange was advancing the playing field, empowering young athletes or young female athletes through sport. And our sister organization, which we are so hopeful, obviously COVID shut things down. We're hopeful they get to come back over. They were supposed to come mm-hmm. back over last uh, in April or May of 2020. And that hasn't happened yet. But it's an organization called Empadera. And they use sport to promote the empowerment of girls and women throughout Brazil with a real focus on social transformation. And and they're dealing with some, some pretty heavy mm-hmm. issues in Brazil, as, as opposed to kind of some of the issues that we deal with in the United States, not to say we don't have our own issues, but um, it, it was pretty eye-opening. And, and during our time there, mm. we spent a lot of time kind of exploring key topics around gender equity and girls and women's empowerment. But we also spent time with a number of non-profit uh, sports organizations that were serving young people in some of the most impoverished areas around the favelas in Rio. And each of those organizations that we visited were founded around sport, but these places were so much more than that. They were they were such a safe haven for so many young people in those communities. So mm-hmm. they, they had this um, opportunity to be active and participate in sport but they also received academic and other support services, safety services, you know, anti-violence, you know, all kinds of things and services that they might be in need of. So it was a really powerful experience for us. We did get shuttled out, unfortunately, a day early, you know, so we didn't, they were concerned, the State Department was concerned we might get stuck there. Sure. But we got through almost all of the program and it really was just such an incredible experience and we're, we're really looking forward to having them come over here when they get to, when we finally get things opened up, when they can come back over, it's going to be fantastic. Oh, that'll be amazing. I know this is um, the sort of the power of sport to bring humanity together. And we had a, a probably a friend of, of your husband's on, a fellow by the name of um, Tom Kelly, who's a longtime Nike guy. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the watching Nike with their marketing might, just the sorts of communications they do. There was a, an ad that I particularly like called 100% Recycled, which is all their ads chopped together to talk about how sport can bring humanity together. And I think that's precisely what you're doing. And it's so cool to see sport as the medium to do that. It's it's so special. It's incredible. It's such a powerful vehicle, right? Yeah. We, we forget this, but it really kind of crosses over all lines. And, and rugby even more so, I think, than other sports too, because of that kind of inclusive nature of the game. I think the gender thing is so cool. Cool. And I just hadn't really, it was, it was such a boys thing growing up here. And then we moved back five years ago and it's like, oh, everyone's playing it. It's brilliant. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, the, the community piece certainly isn't gender dependent, right? I mean, and, right. and I have also observed the traditions around rugby that go beyond the sport. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be fascinating. We actually had a guest on who uh, was a comedian, but he talked about how he played rugby in college and he goes, he said to us, oh, I know what happens after the game. <laughs> we try to avoid that in the youth realm. Yeah. But, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but with girls rugby, you describe that the differentiator to other sports programs is that it's it's values based, mm. which is what we're talking about. It's different than a wind at all costs mentality. C- can you speak to that a little? Yeah, sure. Um, so we've got a little bit of a different approach from the more traditional youth sports program in that our mission is to empower girls, young girls to reach their potential through sport. And we do this by combining a flag rugby program with our a, a curriculum that we built. So it's a unique curriculum and it's a weekly values and leadership based lessons. So the girls learn and hone rugby skills and put those skills into you know practice on game days. But they also participate in these experiential learning opportunities where they explore lessons in leadership and, and positive core values. And they're given the opportunity to put those lessons into action during practice and on game days. So they're given activities they can do at home to continue you know incorporating these important life skills into their daily lives away from the field. But really, our objectives are to create opportunities for girls to be active. They can participate in rugby, increase confidence and self-esteem, develop leadership competencies, make new friends, have fun. Um, you know, even our final game day is a bit non-traditional. It's not your typical championship day, but rather we host a, a family daughter day where family members are invited to come out onto the field and participate in the games and join in in kind of a season ending celebration. And it's this big community event and everybody comes together. So a little bit different take on things, but really it's about, you know, teaching the fundamentals and helping kids fall in love with the sport and kind of removing and they still get to compete but it's it's not it's not the primary focus right it's how do we get our kids to fall in love with sport and kind of remember why we play sports to begin with well you know it's interesting because i coached some little league and a lot of our focus was on trying to make sure that we made it as much as i love baseball i you it was really apparent that the most important thing we could do was teach kids about teamwork and Mm -hmm. teach them about how to deal with the stress of performance i mean all that stuff's going to help them a lot more absolutely Uh, and, and it sounds like you're applying that, but even more intensely. Yeah, it's, it's really intentional, right? So it's it's taking a seven-week curriculum and being really intentional about how that's rolled out. So they're learning both of those skills, right? Or they're learning all mm-hmm. of those skills. So they've got this leadership and, and these kind of core values and life skills that are rolled out through rugby programming. What's what's the age group? What's what's the youngest and oldest? Yeah, so our focus is on grades, uh, girls in grades two through eight. Oh, that's young. That's fantastic. Yeah, so seven, typically in that kind of seven to 14 okay. age group. And you, you said the word uh, flag rugby. So just for the listeners, that's a non-contact uh, it is a non-contact version of the game. Mm-hmm. Yes, so no no tackling yeah. in this in this particular version but, of the game. And fifteen yeah. aside or yeah. seven aside. It all depends on the age group. Oh. So our little our little littles because they're playing on smaller fields. They're usually five on five, mm-hmm. and then as we progress a little bit bigger. But usually, even our seventh and eighth grade girls are typically playing seven on seven. Right. So I have to throw this in there. I remember an interview one time where the great Barry Sanders, the running back for the Detroit Lions football team, yes. uh, Mar- American football team. Somebody asked him how he developed such a unique and incredibly powerful spin move. And he said that he played flag football to start out. There you go. And in flag football, you inherently develop some some action there because it's really hard to grab a flag. Uh, that's the trick. Right? Right. And it's a great way to introduce it to girls. It kind of gives the parents a little bit more of a comfort level and they can yeah. see, is this something that I, you know, is this something that I love? Is it something that I want to do? And, and am I having fun? And, you know, kind of all of that good stuff, but still learning those skills, catch, pass, evasive 
space of running, running lines, open space, all that good stuff that, that so that we sometimes get lost, I think, when content gets introduced early, mm-hmm. just because that becomes the primary focus. And there's so much more to the yeah. game. There's so much nuance to the yeah. game that I think it's important to learn all of those skills. Contact as well, but um, it's great to be able to introduce that to them first and, and see them really excel in those areas. That's such a good point. That staging of the skills is so critical because if you do start with tackling some of the fundamentals, like running for the gap rather than the person is kind of critical. Mm-hmm. And so if you can get all those other skills lined up, then the tackling will come and it's important, but it's not the thing. And it sort of demasculinizes this, oh, this is a very aggro thing. It's actually, it's a beautiful right. It's like this ballet watching things unfold in a backline. It's Absolutely. magnificent. It decreases injuries and it probably also prevents people from instantly being thrown out of the sport because somebody gets their nose kicked in or something and they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. And which, which I mean, in baseball, what it is, is somebody gets hit by the ball and it hurts them or yep. or it's uh, they, they nobody teaches them how to hit a little bit better so they don't hit the ball very often. And then they're like, this is boring, you know. So it, it's all those little things are so important because you know the kids ultimately want to come out and have fun absolutely and i think that's true and then i think it's the parents and the manager and the coach around them it's the adults that sort of then reframe it as we've got to win and then the kids are like oh oh okay so we've got such a responsibility as parents and sports leaders to say it's got to start with fun and and the beauty of the team building and all those skills that take you along in life, I think it's so crucial. I could not have said that any better. You know, just thinking about kind of what, what the ultimate goals are for, for our programming. And, you know, the ultimate goal is accessibility to girls, right? For girls in all corners of the United States and Canada, even beyond that, to support the development of similar programs beyond those borders. So I had the good fortune of having conversations with a lot of women in a lot of different parts of the world through the World Rugby, you know, Executive Leadership Scholarship. And there's a lot of interest there as well. And we want to support them in that growth and development. But I think, you know, I think we're most excited to see where this type of programming takes these girls, both on and beyond the rugby pitch. So, you know, of course, I, I always look forward to seeing the impact they can have on the rugby pitch, but also in applying the leadership and life skills that they've learned in the various spaces where they live their lives, right? So whether that's at school, in sports, at home, in their other activities, but also as they grow up, like this is, you know, how do do they apply these skills in their communities, in their workplace, inside the boardroom, you know, at the White House, possibly, you know, would that be amazing, right? So, so continuing to kind of measure our programming and our, the social emotional development is going to be key to understanding that impact as we go forward. I love the longevity of it. And I love the data-driven nature of it. Like this isn't just a thing for laughs. This is a genuine, like, how do we develop amazing human beings. It's really neat watching you two be able to reflect back on an entire generation of this now, which is really, really neat because uh, you've probably seen a lot of development and growth that has changed naturally. But uh, let me switch this over to something. We we like to ask people if they want to debunk myths mm. on the show. That's something we like to do. Is there anything about all of this or really anything you'd like to address that's just, you know, this is a, a misunderstood thing about what you're involved in? I think the biggest myth around rugby is that it's not played by girls and women. I mean, I, oh, I, think, sure. I, sure. I, I think people are constantly surprised by that. And, you know, particularly when we talk about the contact game. But I think this stems from the idea that girls and women are supposed to, you know, act a certain way, fit into a particular role. They shouldn't make waves, all that good stuff. Right. Um, but there's this idea that, you know, also girls are not inherently strong and that, you know, kind of unlike their male counterparts, they shouldn't be aggressive or physical. I mean, heck, even our fairy tales told us to wait for Prince Charming to come along and rescue us, right? So, I'm still waiting for um, mine. I thought it was Chris, <laughs> but he hasn't shown up yet. He ran off with another no. woman. 
<laughs> He's not my type. <laughs> but I, but I think the um, you know the amazing thing about rugby is that when you show a girl how strong and competent she is, something really magical happens. And this idea that they can be physical and competitive and aggressive, and that this is something that should be applauded, I think is really amazing. And I and I feel like that translates you know to so many other areas of life. And I think that'll pay dividends in the long run. If you look at what's happened again at some of the that when we've been given the opportunity, when women have been given the opportunity to be on that stage, that we are putting butts in seats um, and that people are tuning in. And, and I think I, I read a couple of weeks ago, there was a Nielsen report that came out that said something like, you know, 84% of people who watch sports are interested in seeing more women's sports. And there was a pretty significant number of people that said they would turn tune in. And, and I think part of it is just the exposure, right? And telling the story. We're like, we're not telling the story. When when people get a chance to see these athletes and fall in love with them and understand what it takes, and, you know, we do this for men. All, and, and I love watching men's sports, don't get me wrong. But I think if we did the, if we, if we took the same approach and celebrated our women's successes, and, you know, I think that that would make a huge difference. And I think, you know, we're starting to see corporate America wake up a little bit around this idea. Um, Visa's new sponsorship deal with US uh, soccer said half the money had to be devoted to the women's program. So they weren't giving it without, you know, equal parity there. Um, after the Women's World Cup, I know ESPN then aired like 14 or 15 um, NWSL matches. And then if you recall the, the ad that Secret took out a full page ad in the New York Times announcing that it was going to help close the pay gap. And they were donating like, you know, I don't it was half a million dollars or something like that to the US national team. So you know, I, I think it's happening. I think people are waking up to it. But I think, you know, it's again, it goes back to that. Let's stop doing it because it's the right thing to do. And let's understand what the opportunities really are. Well, I was just going to say, like, this may be too big of the elephant in the room type of thing, but we love doing that. So <laughs> I have not heard anybody have an honest conversation about this yet. Mm. So because here's the thing, you know, Jason and I run businesses. Everybody buys the argument at some level, which is OK. But at some point, what are we going to pay these people with? I get all that. The problem is the U.S. women's team is exactly the group that made it obvious that that's not what's really going on. Absolutely. Because they are by far the most successful group of women playing any athlete sport anywhere. Like right. they they got more eyeballs than anybody I can think of. The U.S. men are, are so weak in soccer comparatively, comparatively. And, you know, I, I love U.S. soccer and I would love the men to do better. But the reality is, is if any of them are getting paid better on performance, well, right, right. <laughs> well, and and it, and you can't argue that there isn't a you know commercial support for that. I mean, the number one selling jersey at that time was the women's soccer jersey for Nike. Was, yeah. Nike's number one seller, That's right? Amazing. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I think we're wrapping up quite soon, but I did want to ask you, Jen. Yeah. First yeah. of all, thank you so yeah. much. It was such a fun conversation. It's good to see you amazing. while recording this as well. Where can people find you to enroll their daughters? <laughs> uh, they can find us at www.girlsrugbyinc.com. And then we're also on our social channels. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We, we've just we've just entered the Twitterverse. Twitter. We don't really understand nice. it yet, but we're entering the Twitterverse. That's great. Well, expect awesome. a huge lift in uh, enrollments. <laughs> we'll get the word out. Thanks so much, Thanks, Jen. Jen. Great stuff. Cheers. Thank okay. you, you guys. Great to see you. for joining us at the Recombobulator Lab with Chris Dominic and Jason Graham-Nine. Catch you next time.